action. Hello and welcome to another episode of Your Average Critics, joined currently by Obi. How are you, Obi? I'm very well. How are you? Good. Yeah, not too bad. Feels like it's been a while since we've podcasted, but it's probably only been a couple of weeks. It's been um, a few weeks, yeah. Although we do have quite a lot to get through, so may have to do another one during the week. Chris will probably mm-hmm. join us in 20 minutes or so. Um, but, yeah, so I think in terms of film news, there was obviously a Disney investors, Disney Plus Investors Day thing uh, a few weeks ago now. But, um, I mean, did you did you get a chance to watch this or kind of follow it via Twitter? Um, yeah, well, to be honest, there wasn't really anything to watch. Um, I was kind of, like, uh, looking through like to like Twitter and Google and stuff to see if there was like links to like watch it stream and stuff like that, like DC fandom kind of thing. But there wasn't mm. really anything. I'm pretty sure it was all done exclusively through like Twitter and stuff like that. Um which I think is a bit was a shame and a bit of a missed opportunity to be honest. Yeah, um, I, I did read an article from one of the online kind of film websites that was basically criticizing the way they did it. They just said it was a shambles. Yeah. I, I would agree I would agree with that to be honest with you. Um and also, I wasn't like, I wasn't super like, mm, I feel like all the stuff that they announced that I care about anyway, is stuff that we, apart from a couple of things of stuff that we already know about, um, like even the new, their new announcements, like um, Agatha, the Agatha Harkness series, like we all knew about that already kind of thing. Um, so yeah, I wasn't, they didn't really give us, compared to like, I think it was, was it last year or the year before when they did an event in like December-ish time? And they revealed yeah. basically everything they revealed now, but it was like an actual person presenting it kind of thing. I think that was, I know it's not the same event, but I think that was way better than what they did, uh, a few weeks ago. And, um, uh, sorry, I've lost my train of thought. And yeah, and also they didn't announce any Star Wars stuff, which I was pretty, uh, I thought they were going to maybe get a trailer for the Obi-Wan series or something like that, or I don't know, but we didn't get anything. So I was a bit, sh- I was a bit shamed by that. Yeah, I think they released some like concept art or something, but yeah. you know, other than that, um, so the the MCU series that they uh, announced is um, an animated Spider-Man freshman year, um, which follows Peter Parker on his way to becoming Spider-Man in the MCU. Um, that's the only information we have. I mean, uh, maybe we'll get into Spider-Man a little bit more when Chris joins, but I feel like. One of the things about Homecoming particularly was they kind of just was like, hey, you've seen all of this before quite recently. So we're just going to mm. do it in a couple of lines of um, dialogue. And I think mm. Ned says like, oh, so can you, um, what is, he comes out of like a few funny things. Can't quite remember what he says. Like, oh, do you lay eggs and stuff? And, and it's yeah. like, no, of course I don't. So that, that sort of covered it. And I was thinking, do I really need to see a series about how it happened? I mean, all I really want to know is where the spider came from, and then I'd be quite satisfied. Yeah, I know what you mean. Um, I'm a bit more like, yeah, I'm not really that bothered about this series, to be honest. And to be honest, I thought I didn't know it was connected to the MCU. I didn't know it was going to be like canon. So that's that. That makes me a bit more interested, just to kind of find out like a bit of background. Maybe we'll see Uncle Ben and stuff like that. Um, that could be that could be pretty pretty interesting, I guess. Um, uh, I'm trying to put a more positive spin in the fact that, like, I think at least now we'll get to see a more grounded Spider-Man. Like, we'll, like we will see like a friendly neighborhood Spider-Man, like without Iron Man and all that stuff. So it might be a bit more interesting. 
I think. It's animated. Oh. So that, to me, is like a completely different, uh, you know, yeah. kettle of fish. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, I thought it was live action. Damn. Um, yeah, if, if they get Tom Holland's voice, maybe, then I'll probably be a bit more interested. Because I remember when, when we watched What If and uh, Spider-Man was in that one, the Zombies one, the voice actor for that, not that he was bad, but the voice actor for that completely took me out of the Spider-Man character because it just sounded so different to Tom Holland. Whereas I think the other the other ones who, uh, like the people, someone who, the guy who tried to do Chris Evans and uh, Robert Denny Jr., they actually sounded like them or at least tried to sound like them, whereas this guy kind of just <laughs> used his own voice, which is nothing wrong with that. But yeah, I wasn't really feeling it. Um, so for them to be like, oh yeah, this is canon or part of the MCU, but then the voice actor sounds completely different to Tom Holland, I think it'd be a bit strange. Yeah. And they're also, they also announced a Marvel Zombies animated series. I couldn't care less about that to be completely honest with you. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, no, not 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 a whole. Again, depends how many episodes, but not a whole series. And this Agatha House of Harkness, like Marvel was so structured, like mm. over a long period of time. They've, they obviously do adapt, but to sort of announce a series based on the popularity of a character, mm. I don't know. I mean, who cares about this though? I I'm I, I thinking like. Who who was really championing the Agatha Harkness series? Like, who cares? <laughs> like, yeah. she was a she was a decent character. Get, don't get me wrong, but like, I don't know. I don't know. But if if it goes like back, like to give us an introduction to like magic or like witchcraft in the MCU kind of thing, then okay, cool. But if it's like present day bollocks, I don't really care to be completely honest. Yeah, um, Mephisto confirms surely. <laughs> Oh, fuck it up. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then the other kind of, I guess, recent film news, although not so recent anymore, is is the second trailer for Spider Man: uh, No Way Home. But I think we should wait for Chris to yeah, talk about Chris that. So yeah. let's get into some of the new releases. And I know that you've seen quite a few. Um, so where do you want to start? What's the most recent um, thing? Uh, so this weekend, you can take your pick. This weekend, I've seen Encanto, House of Gucci, uh, King Richard. So okay, take your pick of any of those. Um, I'm intrigued to hear what House of Gucci is like, considering mm. I was not uh, enamoured with it from the trailer, uh, mm. particularly when Lady Gaga goes father, son, and House of Gucci <laughs> or something, and I was just like, oh god. <laughs> so yeah, give me your thoughts, please. Uh, this is okay. The second Ridley Scott film in as many yes. weeks, it seems. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, House of Gucci is basically about um, about the, like, I'll say, I'm being very cliche, but I'll say trials and tribulations of the Gucci family up until um, the murder of um, Maurizio Gucci in 1995, I think, or 1994. Um, so it's kind of starts, I think, in 1978 when Maurizio meets um, Patrizia, Patrizia Reggiani, I think is her name, um, played by Lady Gaga. Um, basically, it's hinted at that she might be like a, a gold digger opportunist kind of thing. But also, I think it's very clear that she does like that these two fall in love really quickly. And I think it is clear that there is actual like love there. But um, uh, Maurizio, played by Adam Driver, his dad, um, played by Jeremy Irons. The cast of this is really good, by the way. <laughs> the film, mm. not so great. <laughs> <laughs> uh, fair enough 
<laughs> but yeah, so his dad is like disapproving because he thinks that she's basically like a gold digger or whatever. So then he's like, oh, I love her. Da, da, da. So then he kicks him out of the family. So he's like, okay, cool. I'm going to go live with, uh, go and live with Patrizia. And they kind of like, he's happy just being a normal guy, like not a billion, millionaire, billionaire, normal guy working for her dad's truck company and just having like a normal, simple life. She, on the other hand, is much more ambitious and she wants to be rich and powerful and whatnot. I don't think they hammer hammer that home well enough in the beginning, but they make it very abundantly clear from like the middle onwards. Um, so then, yeah, they get married. Um, the dad dies. Um, and then the dad's brother, who is Aldo Gucci, played by Robert De, Robert De Niro. He's also got a son called Paolo Gucci. Al Pacino. By, sorry, what did I say? Robert De Niro. Robert De Niro, yeah, that's stupid. So yeah, Al Pacino. I don't know where I got that from. Um, and then... Uh, Paolo Gucci played by Jared Leto. Jared Leto puts in one of the, one of the weirdest performances I've <laughs> I've ever seen <laughs> because he just you know how like um, you know in Family Guy yeah when Peter does the Baba the Goopy thing to, for, to be yeah. Italian it is yeah. it, it's so reminiscent of that it's like he's just trying to take the kiss out of Italian people <laughs> and it's just like I was literally I was watching it like who watched this and thought this was, I thought this was all right. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, it kind of just seemed like they just let him like they just gave him the, the script and said, "Yeah, just go with it, just do whatever you like with it." And he said, "Fair enough. Let me let me let me give it a shot." Um, <laughs> anyway, I'm butchering I'm butchering this plot. So yeah, they get together. Um, the Maurizio's dad dies. Um, so then Aldo Gucci uh, is like the sole, he's like the um, majority shareholder in Gucci. Um, and basically, through like conniving, scheming, forgery, um, mostly. Um, Patrizia, who like initiates all of this because she like wants to get, wants to be like the head of Gucci basically, or she wants Maurizio to be the head of Gucci. They basically con everyone out of their shares of Gucci and become majority shareholders in Gucci. Maurizio doesn't like how this has like affected his family and his relationships with family, he doesn't like how his, how has made his wife like change her attitude, XYZ. So then he's like, I've gone off you now. So then he's like, yeah, I want to get a divorce. And she's like, no, we ain't getting divorced. Like, this is it. This is me, me and you for life. And he's like, nah, allow it. So then he divorces her, sends her away, goes and gets with some other bird, um, who I thought was English in the film, but actually she's Italian as well, so her accent was awful. Um, and then, so yeah, he goes to get a divorce. Regina? was like, nah, fuck this, you gotta die. So then she conspires with her, her friend who's a psychic, played by Sam Hayek, and they're like, yeah, we're gonna kill this motherfucker. And then they hire some people to come um, they pay him six six hundred million or six hundred thousand lira, one of the two, to kill him. Um, and yeah, basically, um, he she her scheming and conniving does get him all of Gucci, and he's like at the top basically. And he's not really a businessman like that, so he's going around and he's like buying bare stuff and buying like Ferraris and Lamborghinis and all like those expensive stuff. So meanwhile, Gucci is like hemorrhaging money. So then the people who um, who are also invested in Gucci, they're like, yeah, you got to get out of the business kind of thing. Um, so you got to like, we'll give you 50, 150 million for your, all your shares kind of thing. And he's like, nah, fuck that. Rejects it. And then he's like, uh, riding a bike on the way back to, uh, his house. And then some geezer comes, shoots him twice. No, sorry, three times in the chest. Um, so then he dies. And then two years later, uh, Mrs. Gucci, uh, gets, uh, arrested. Arrested? Or convicted of his murder. And she goes to prison for, 20, she gets sentenced to 29 years in prison 
And then all the conspirators get like 26, 28. And one of them got life. The one who actually shot him got life. Um, yeah, that's pretty much the gist of the story. So sorry for spoilers if you didn't know how it, <laughs> how it ended up. Um, yeah, it's fine. It's fine. It's way too long. It's two hours and 40 minutes. It's so, it's so long. Um, Adam Driver and Adam Driver's good. Lady Gaga's really good, I think, personally. Um, they do this thing where, so you know, did you ever watch House of Stalin? No. Okay, so in House of Stalin, and I hate this, by the way, in House of Stalin, everyone in, in that, uh, film, their characters were all Russian, but they all spoke in American accents, and I think they, they did that purposefully. Or whoever directed it, I don't know who directed it, but they did it purposefully, and that really annoyed me, because I think it's pretty stupid. In yeah. this one, they all, pretty much, 80% of the time, 85% of the time, they're all speaking English, but they're all speaking, they're all trying to do Italian accents. Um, some people find that jarring, personally. Me, I prefer it, because even though I know that all these characters are supposed to be Italian, it would be, for me, it would be even weirder if they were all speaking in American accents, but we know they're all Italian. I think that would be really dumb. What you could do is just cut Italian actors, but then obviously you wouldn't get the, uh, the draw that you do from having Adam Driver, um, Al Pacino, et cetera, et cetera. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's, it's cool. It's, it, it, it's all right. I wouldn't tell anyone to go rush to see it. I think I prefer the last duel to the, out of the two Ridley Scott films, I prefer the last duel to, to this. Um, it's always good, to, I suppose, to watch a film that you don't know much of the history about. So I did learn some stuff, you know, that I didn't know before. Um, but yeah, otherwise, I wouldn't tell anybody. To, it's not going to win the Oscars, I don't think. So, you know, it's all right. Yeah, I mean, the trailer was just like a very sensationalised kind of, you know, something out of like Heat magazine or something. And I mean, the trailer yeah. literally said like, sex, murder, lies. <laughs> and I was like, that's probably the point because it's maybe a quite a sensationalist story but it really didn't engage me into wanting to watch it mm. um, yeah no I, I, don't, I don't blame you to be honest with you yeah. in, fact, in fact I should be watching it now um, because I booked a ticket to see it but I can't be bothered yeah. <laughs> so yeah I'm kind of glad uh, I didn't go um, okay so yeah I mean he he's come out Ridley Scott and um, blasted Millennials for the last duel not doing well. Um, but, I mean, who's he going to blame for this? Italy. Yeah. Thing, but to be fair, like, I don't know if, like, I don't know. He's probably, he's probably just annoyed and he decided to go on a rant. But, like, when the films like that, like, like the, um, the last duel ever make, like, good money, it's rare, I think. Like, yeah. Films like, like, the Gladiator, I think, did really well. But like in general, like period piece, I don't know if you cuss that as a period piece, but things period pieces like that don't generally break box office records. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. I think you need to match your budget to the type of film it is. And, and also we're in a pandemic as well. Sorry. Yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, his last few films haven't necessarily lit the world on fire, so mm. maybe he's just bitter because his, you know. Uh, kind of heritage legacy is, is is not drawing people to see his films anymore but yeah he's you know. 83 jesus and that's yeah that's life but i'm sure he'll still do another like four alien films before he uh <laughs> you know departs um okay so from the sensationalist to the presumably cutesy uh my mom said she's seen encanto and uh she I think I saw your mum the other day in the cinema, actually. She I went think. to sit in Greenwich. Oh, maybe not then. 
I thought I saw, maybe I saw, I thought I saw your sister and your mum, but I could have been, could have been two random women. <laughs> to be fair, they do go to the cinema together, so it could happen. Yeah. Um, but yeah, my mum said it was very lovely and said that I should go and see it. Um, but yeah, Encanto, um, probably one that I'll wait to see on Disney Plus, but what, what were your thoughts on it? So this is a Disney computer animated film, uh, set in Colombia, I believe. Yes, Colombia. Um, so yeah, Encanto is a film about um, basically a husband and a wife who um, they had three babies and um, they were basically forced out of their village um, or community by like, uh, I think by war maybe or by pillagers or something like that. And um, the people who were attacking the village were about to, um, what's the word, were about to like finish everybody off. But then the husband decided to like sacrifice himself and said, no, take me kind of thing let me, and let everybody else go. Don't know why that worked, but they did that anyway. And at that moment, um, some sort of like magical force um, saved everybody there. Um, and it like this this magic was like, encompassed in a candle, which like burns forever. Um, and it basically caused like a whole community to kind of like build out and like houses magically built themselves and trees and forests and everything's really nice. And um, this woman, um, who I call it Ab- Abuelita, which so because i don't think she has an actual name in the film um so she raised her three children in this house and this house like is like magic so like it repairs itself and um like um helps like it like thick tidies itself and stuff like that so it's all magical and what basically happens is through the magic of this candle um when the time when that when you come of age uh, i'm not sure what age that is supposed to be maybe like 10 or so um you touch this candle you touch a doorknob on the house and it basically gives you some sort of special power so some people in that in it can are like super strong. Uh, someone can um, shape shift. Um, someone can predict the future and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. So like everyone who's related to who's in that family bloodline of Abuelita's bloodline, um, when they come of age, they go to the door and they get their special power. Apart from this uh, one girl Mirabelle, um, who when her time comes, she doesn't get her power, and she's like the only one who doesn't get her power. Um, and then basically what happens is that cracks start to show in the house and thing, people start to kind of like lose their powers. The house doesn't repair itself as quickly and stuff like that. Mirabelle notices this and tries to like investigate and see what's going on so she can like keep the magic going. because She's like all about it. But everyone kind of thinks that she's causing it and everyone thinks that she's jealous and she doesn't want um, anyone else to have powers because she doesn't have any powers. And obviously that upsets her. Um, and yeah, basically she just goes on like a, a journey through the house, to be honest, from the trailer, I thought she went on like a, a, a actual journey through Columbia or something like that. But the journey is just in the house. But basically, when um, people touch this doorknob, when they get their powers, it creates a bedroom for them. And then that bedroom could be like the size of Africa. <laughs> like you, and then you go into the bedroom and it's absolutely huge. Okay, so it's like a TARDIS. Yeah, basically, yeah. Um, so yeah, she goes up through like different doors and people's, in people's houses. She goes through her uncle Bruno's door, who's the one who can see the future. And he, everyone, he, he, everyone said that he kept predicting stuff that was like really bad. So, cause he didn't want to disappoint everyone. He just kind of like left, um, cause he didn't want to keep giving everyone bad news kind of thing. And basically she uses, um, Bruno's vision to find that she's the key to why the house is falling apart, but she doesn't know why. And then, um, through, you know, some song and dance, <laughs> literally. <laughs> and, um, and like uh, stuff like that, she basically finds out that um, she's the one who's supposed to bring the house back together. 
kind of thing through like her her love kind of like for, for everyone and everything to do with like the house um the house ends up being destroyed uh but then she gets it back together she blames her grandma for it because her grandma kind of like puts pressure on everyone to be perfect and she says like she's basically her grandma's basically like elitist with these powers like she's like if you yeah, i'm gonna if you don't have powers like you're not it kind of thing in my eyes kind of. so like and then uh mirabelle calls her out on it and then she's like, oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't realize I was doing this. Blah, 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 blah. They reconcile. House comes back together. Community comes and helps everybody build the house. House, the magic, uh, comes back to the house. Everyone's, everyone is happy ever after. Mirabel still doesn't have any powers, which I thought was a bit, like, loud. But, okay. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, I suppose, I suppose it would have been, it would have ignored the point of the film if, um, I think if she'd gotten powers at the end. But also I wanted her to get powers in it because everyone else had powers and she didn't have any. A power is bringing bit... family together. Maybe, maybe, but um, yeah, it's uh, it's obviously got the musical element of it. Some the songs are fine. Um, I'm comparing it to the last one I saw, which was I suppose which was Coco. I think Coco was Disney. Was it Pixar? Don't really know. Owned um, by Disney, isn't it? Yeah, um, and I think Coco's songs are better than the ones in this one. This one, it, these songs are like written and composed by Lin Manuel Miranda, and you can very clearly tell that they are. He's got a very very distinct style of um of like musical songs and as soon as I like heard the first song I was like oh this must be this must be him kind of thing and obviously I saw the end credits it was Lin-Manuel Miranda what do you think Um, his his distinct style is then so like it's very much like like lots of drums and this is the the talk singing my mum is a and it's like I like it I like it personally but I think uh, you need to vary up maybe a little bit okay Um, yeah uh, so it's very, very much like, um, in the Heights, uh, Hamilton, you know, that deal. Yeah. Um, I'm shocked he doesn't seem to have been involved in the new West Side story. Same. Same. I'm very surprised I mean, I don't know Spielberg if he is, is in it. Why is Steven Spielberg doing it? I was thinking, like, is this his, is this what he normally does? Yeah, I watched the trailer for it and I was like, eh, I don't. Yeah, I'm me too. Not that bothered. And I'm going to watch it, but I'm like, mm. did we need the remake? I don't know. Um, too but, bad I haven't seen the original, so I can't remember. No, um, but yes, the music is fine. There's one song I think it's like saying like we don't talk about Bruno or something like that, which I think is actually really good and stands out by far in terms of like best song uh, of the thing. But in general, it's pretty, it's funny at times as well. It's pretty, um, pretty like uh, like we know when we were talking about Co, not Coco, Soul. Well, Soul picks it is now, but Soul was very oh, yeah. much like yeah, Soul was like kind of deep. Like, and we were like, would kids like enjoy this kind of thing? Like, it's kind of like, you know, you have to like, there's like a deeper meaning behind what's going on behind the screen kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think this one is very much more like, like kids level magic. This person has magic. This person doesn't have magic. We need to find out why, what's going on with the magic. That's like, very much more surface level, I think, and probably yeah. would be more enjoyable for children. And obviously, there's songs in this one as well. So, you know, sing along and whatnot. Um, yeah. But yeah, overall, I enjoyed it. I would, yeah, I would say wait for it to come out on Disney Plus. It's not groundbreaking or anything. Did you but feel like, like? Oh, sorry. I was gonna say, did you feel like you got a sense of like something kind of distinctly Colombian or like you know like how Coco was kind of trying to educate you in some way about the Day of the Dead and Mexican culture? Mm-hmm. Did you get any of that from Encanto? Mm, I don't think so. Not really. Obviously, like the music is very much like like latin um i would say in nature which is which is great um but in terms of like actual like culture not really they tell you the meaning of encanto and i can't remember what it is 
But, <laughs> <laughs> but that's the only thing really that I got from it. There wasn't much culture-wise, I would say. Somebody who, someone else who watched it could maybe prove me wrong, but I didn't think there was much like specific culture-wise to Colombia that was included in the film, um, which is a shame I, from my, from my perspective, um, mm. compared to like, compared to like, um, Coco, for example. Um, but yeah, obviously, I, maybe, I mean, I might miss a couple of things, maybe, so maybe somebody else who watched it would give a different view. But yeah, overall, I'd say it's pretty, it's a pretty good film. Um, and I enjoyed it. Not too long, either, so, so like an hour 40. Yeah. I feel like I've missed like loads of the most recent kind of Disney animated ones. So I haven't seen Raya and the Last Dragon or Luca or this one now, so. Yeah, um, is this better than Ryan and the Last Dragon? Actually, I quite enjoyed Ryan and the Last Dragon. I'd say that's better than this, personally. Um, I, I didn't see Luca either, um, because it just didn't really look very good. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, it's good that they're kind of diversifying the, the settings, because I think Luca is like Mediterranean, isn't it? And, mm-hmm. um, so, yeah, I guess that, that's good, even if you don't necessarily get kind of a sense of the culture from it. I guess that's not necessarily the job of the film. Yeah. Although I do feel like if you specifically set it somewhere that isn't often represented, or at least not represented positively, because uh, Colombia mm. is normally just kind of cocaine capital, um, maybe <coughs> it's nice to sort of show it as, hey, this is another side of Colombia, and this is distinctly Colombian. I don't know. Yeah. But hey-ho. Um, and then the final new release that you've seen and we haven't is uh, King Richard. So this is Will Smith Oscar bait. Yeah, yeah, um, it is. Um, yeah, I I like this film a lot actually. Um, no surprises, Will Smith is I'm like a Will Smith stan. Um, but yeah, the film basically centering around Richard Richard Williams, um, who is Serena and Venus Williams' dad, um, and was who was their coach for a long, long time, um, like before they turned pro and a bit after they turned pro as well. And basically kind of like the kind of like all like what he how they grew up, what um him, his wife, Brandy, and like the other sisters, what they kind of like went through leading up to like the decisions they made and people kind of like doubted always doubted decisions and it kind of like emphasis emphasized like his plan, like his seventy eight page plan which he sent to like every coach to try and convince them to coach Serena Venus for free and stuff like that. Um and yeah, it kind of I think it's like a a 10 year period 10 years probably not 10 years maybe like six or seven years period um of them kind of like training themselves and trying to get coaches and before to um, get them good enough to turn pro basically um and yeah the films i don't i don't really want to say loads because i kind of like would like you guys to uh go in and watch it kind of fresh kind of things and then maybe when you've both seen it we can maybe dissect it a bit more okay um i say both chris isn't here yet but yeah <laughs> Um, so yeah, it, it, it's, there's a lot, it's annoying because you don't watch basketball, but there's, there's this guy who's, um, a coach, uh, not a coach, a dad. His name's LeVar Ball, um, and he's got, um, three sons, um, and basically there was a big kerfuffle about him and how, like, and his character when he was bringing his sons up before, before they, um, entered the draft to come into the NBA because he was talking about, like, how good they are. He'd be bigging them up and stuff like that. And he'd be like taking those interviews and like kind of like really, he really like, um, gassed up their, like, their like ability and stuff like that. People would be calling him arrogant and say he's like a narcissist and he wants to make everything all about him and da, 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 da. And a lot of that happens in this film and it really reminded me of him. And I feel like 
people will always um people always look for a way to discredit you like when when you when you say something that they don't really that they haven't seen yet i suppose so he's basically rich williams basically saying like my girls are will be the best tennis players like around basically like but he didn't want them to go the traditional route that most tennis players go to which is to play like loads of junior competitions and then eventually turn pro he didn't want them being burnt out he wanted them to uh, be normal teenagers go to school uh, do extracurricular stuff go Disneyland stuff like that and basically all the coaches who he approached and who he worked with all wanted to be like nah we have to like go pedal to the metal kind of pedal pedal to the metal kind of thing and so that they can like get ready for to go professional but he like was really really against that but nobody really believed um in that method of him like not doing not doing that going against the grain um and there was a big like emphasis on like his plan he mentions it like so so many times and i think there is a hint of arrogance here and there is a hint of and his wife him and his wife they have an argument in the film about him being afraid to let anyone else help with like decisions involving the doors so he would kind of like just unilaterally make decisions about the, the family's future kind of thing and not really consult anybody about it um and there is a criticism of that i think and one of the things i think this film does well is that it doesn't just paint him in like uh, a super positive light like there is there is a side of him that he really does believe in his daughters he really does love his family xyz but also this guy is stubborn he is uncompromising he is um, his wife calls him a quitter. Like he, he his wife mentions, um, and I wondered if they would mention this. His wife mentions he's got a whole other family which he abandoned before he had, oh. um, yeah, before he had Venus and Serena and all the other and all the other sisters. So he's got he had like four or five kids before um, he married this, this uh, the new wife, the mother of Serena of Serena and Venus. Um, they mentioned that in the film, and I was wondering if they would. And they oh. basically like in, in real life, like he don't even like really got claimed them <laughs> like so it's a bit of a fucked up situation there um and i was speaking to somebody about it and they were saying that they weren't going to watch this film because they didn't want to watch a film that was celebrating a man like that okay. which i understand i completely understand um but i'm glad they didn't just like gloss over that they, they didn't they don't really go into it in any depth but i'm glad they at least mentioned it so you know this guy isn't like like this guy was flawed even though he did try to kind of do right by his the daughters that, he, that we see in the film, there was other people, other children that he didn't do right by, kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, now in general, I really, I really did, I really did like it. I think that the two girls who, the, or she was all the daughters, um, uh, all the actresses who play the daughters of Richard Williams, I think they're all really good. They all have really good chemistry, and you can tell they're like, um, like you would think that they're all like real life sisters, kind of thing. Like the way they kind of like. Um, like bounce with each other in terms of like dialogue and stuff like that and um, obviously Will Smith is Will Smith like he puts his ass into any role that he <laughs> that he does to be fair and like he puts on like I don't know where Richard is from but he does like this accent and it's like it makes like some of the lines he says so funny because he sounds like a country hick basically um, and it's proper jokes and he does have some really comedic lines as well like but the majority of just him being an arsehole to people um, and like I can't remember, I can't even remember one, but one was like him. The, the he like begged, basically begged his coach to um to take on Venus, and so they're coaching. But then like whilst he's coaching, he's like <laughs> also telling Venus like what to do and contradicting the coach, and he's like they're like getting into an argument whilst he's got it on the on the video camera. 
And then the coach asked Venus like to come uh, to come closer so he can like basically whisper saying like ignore your dad like this is what I'm saying. And then <laughs> Richard just shouts a little louder. I can't hear you. The camera's rolling, but I can't hear what you're saying. And I just, <laughs> me, and my, me and my dad just burst out laughing. We were pretty cracking up. Um, but yeah, no. In general, uh, obviously the film builds up to um, Venus's first professional tournament um, and ends at, after that after that first professional tournament. Um, and I think it does a really good job of like building up the expectations that were on um, the family and Venus and Venus in particular um, at that time um, as a like a young black girl. Um, and yeah, I don't, yeah, I think I think it's really I think it's a really good film, and I, I would. It's one of them ones where I don't really give a shit about tennis, but like after I watched it, now I'm like, oh yeah, I actually want to like know more about like Venus and Serena's journey kind of thing and how they like achieved what they achieved. So I think the film does its job, to be fair. I think those sisters are prime for like a biopic about themselves, aren't they? Mm. Like mm. focusing on their rise. I mean, is it Venus that's still going and she's in her like late Serena, 30s? Serena's still going. Serena's still going. She's in her late yeah. 30s. Um, Richard Williams is from Louisiana. So, Louisiana. Um, I mean, what would you rate it out of 10? And is it, is it Oscar Bay? Is he going to get nominated? Oh, um, so I'll answer this in two, in two ways. Is it Oscar Bay based on what I, based on, is it Oscar worthy based on what I've seen this year? I'll say yes. Um, is it Oscar worthy? Do I think the individual performance of, do you think the individual film and individual performance of Will Smith are in general Oscar-worthy compared to maybe like winners of recent years and stuff like that? No, personally. If, I don't know if that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, cause it's a, I mean, this, this is going to be like when Liverpool won the league. It's going to have a huge asterisk that goes against whoever wins any of the Oscars mm. this year because, I mean, you know, we're approaching December and we can maybe look to do an end-of-year review, but it's not been a, a bumper year for the film and COVID has... Um, obviously been a massive part of that we've not had the volume of films that we usually would but i also just i mean we won't really hit oscar season when they're released in the uk but there's none that stand out to me particularly Um, no i would agree um yeah okay and what would you give out of 10 sorry uh i'd probably give it an eight yeah an eight okay yeah i did enjoy it i did enjoy it a lot you need to do little instagram reviews of these i know i just keep you're really good with them i just keep i always forget I'm not. I'm just one third of the voice of your average critics. <laughs> one of the other thirds has joined us. Welcome, Chris. It's very time-consuming, Glenn. It's not. <laughs> it takes like ten minutes. You can only do so much on Instagram anyway. So uh, mm. I was writing a review for one of them, and I had to cut out loads of it because it was saying that I'd reached the limit. Um, <laughs> yeah. So. I didn't know. I didn't know the limit on Instagram. So fair enough. Yeah, no, nor did I <laughs> until they were like, can you just stop talking about this film? Yeah. Um, I can't even remember which one it was. Um, I'll just quickly review Petit Maman, um, which was a film I saw as a um, screen unseen. Um, so, yeah, completely went in blind. Um, turned out to be this 70-odd minute French film um, about a, uh, I think she's an eight-year-old girl who loses her grandmother and they go to the grandmother's house to basically clear up um get it ready to kind of be sold the parents uh, of this little girl there's friction between them um the mum one night just leaves and the little girl kind of 
goes into the woods where her mum had had a treehouse when she was younger, meets a girl who uh, is identical to her um, and basically realises that she's somehow crossed into the past and is actually encountering her mum as she's building this treehouse. And uh, she goes back to this mother's house, which is a carbon copy of the one that they're clearing out. And her man is there, but obviously as a kind of younger version. Um and the girls kind of get to know one another and create this like really kind of friendship bond. But it also explores some quite deep feelings because um, at one point, the little girl Nelly says to the other little girl who's played by her twin sister, um, you're my mother. And she's like, oh, OK. It's, it's got that like innocent simplicity that that young kids have is where you could one of them can say, oh, you're my mum, and the other one's like, oh, okay, I am, rather than kind of being like, what, this doesn't make any sense, and getting kind of really scientific about it, it's just sort of, like, accepted, and then... Um, How old was Mar- she? Eight. Okay. So okay. She, be- she meets her mum as an eight-year-old, and right. she is also eight, uh, and the mum, Marion, then sort of but at, speaking in the way of, like, motherly, and she's like, oh, why have I left you in the future? in the past um you know what does that mean how does that make you feel and it's just very unassuming but very sweet um and it's very well acted between the young girls um and it's just like quite a a nice way i guess to explore how someone that old might come to terms with the death of of a, a loved one um because nelly never got to say goodbye properly um and she kind of regretted that and so she actually does get to say goodbye to her grandmother, but as the age her mum is, if that makes sense. So, and yeah. grandmother, wait, I'm so confused now. So the grandmother <laughs> dies in the beginning. Yeah. When she goes into what is essentially the past, yeah, and sees her mother as an eight-year-old. Okay. Her grandmother is the age that her mother is in present. Okay. 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 So she no. kind of gets to spend more time with her. Right. Um, okay. Honestly. And then say goodbye. So yeah, it's it's kind of um, it's described as like a fantasy fairy tale, which I think you can definitely see elements of that. But yeah, it just completely caught me off guard. It's one of those ones that I would probably never have gone to see in the cinema or mm. sought out. Particularly, I mean, a seventy-minute French film featuring an eight-year-old girl—that's a universal. I would have been like. Mm probably going to be boring but no that's the, was, best, that's the best type of screen unseen to be fair exactly and my mum and sister went to see our screen unseen and they walked out as soon as they found out it was a subtitled french film and oh then, really yeah and then my mum read oh. the review i did on instagram and said oh i wish i'd carried on seeing it and i said well, <laughs> why not you know there's, there's no harm in it and uh yeah so to be honest it's probably one of the better films i've seen this year um yeah, so that's Petit Mama. I've probably butchered that pronunciation. Uh, I think it means small mother. I have no idea. <laughs> yeah, I think so. I think um, yeah, so um, almost up to date on the uh, new releases. The only one uh, in the cinema that we haven't discussed is Ghostbusters Afterlife. Um, and I f- believe we've all seen it now. I don't know. Chris, you seen Ghostbusters? Okay. Uh, no. Okay. Was that a no? That was a no, yeah. Yeah, I did say in the chat. I haven't seen it though. 
so you should probably start for me. Okay, no worries. Well, maybe we'll leave that for another time then. Um, no, I don't, I, I don't know when I'll be, have time to see it, so you might as well talk about it. Okay, well, we'll go, we won't go into spoilers. Um, so this, this is the, was it the fourth installment? Although yes. they kind of discounted the Paul Feig one. Um, so this <laughs> is, this is like the third installment of the canonical Ghostbusters. Um, set in the present day. Um, stars kind of Finn Wolfhard from, uh, Stranger Things, uh, McKenna Grace, who's been in loads of things. She basically plays the young version of actors in every film, it seems. Uh, she was in I, Tanya, um, amongst others. Uh, Paul Rudd, uh, Carrie Coon, who was Proxima Midnight, I believe, in Avengers uh, Infinity War. Um, and it's basically so the family uh, of um, Ivan Spangler, who was played by Harold Ramis from the original, um, He's he basically abandoned them uh kind of pretty when the mother was pretty young um and he went to live on this farm in oklahoma i think it was and uh basically was just a bit of a recluse people thought he was a bit crazy he was kind of doing experiments living on this dirt farm not growing anything um and yeah he passes away right at the beginning of the film um he's dead in real life and um then the family inherit it. So Callie, who's his daughter, but she didn't grow up with him, and her kids, who are Trevor and Phoebe, played by Finn Wolfhard and McKenna Grace. Um, so they're broke as well. They inherit this dusty old farm, and uh, McKenna Grace, Phoebe, is very scientific. Uh, she finds some of the kind of Ghostbusters equipment, um, and <laughs> along with uh, a friend that she meets in summer school called podcast <laughs> um and the school teacher played by paul rudd who's very responsible um mm. talk about with the ghost machine and release a ghost uh and then have to go and catch it and it's basically yeah so um kind of cut a long story short there's there's kind of similar vibes in the original ghostbusters in that um there's this whole i think sumerian kind of legend that uh goes or what, what's is that the name Goza. Um, Goza, yeah. Goza. Yeah, so so she's trying to come through. Um they need the the uh key master and the gatekeeper, um, who are gargoyle dogs and yeah, they have to come together and consummate to uh, release all the ghosts. Did that uh, happen and, in the first one? Yep. So it's a good Oh they have to kiss. Well, I think they they, they had to meet. <laughs> uh, oh, okay. and, and then they met. So that was um Sigourney Weaver and um, Rick Moranis. That's it, Rick Moranis. Um, but yeah, so so that happens, and then and then the whole family uh, and some other special guests, shall we say, have to uh, kind of stop that from happening, contain all the ghosts. Um, I I, I kind of liked it. I mean, I rewatched the original Ghostbusters a few weeks ago and did not like it at all. It sucks ass, bro. It was <laughs> shit. I mean. <laughs> So I watched it oh, and, God. I mean, uh, the review on Instagram says it all. It, it was not good. I didn't enjoy it. It was, it was not funny. There was a lot of things in it that were like, mm, kind of problematic now. Um, which actually they do kind of acknowledge one small part of that in this film. Um, mm. and yeah, so it, it just didn't, wasn't for me. So I, uh, my expectations for this film were a lot lower, 
um, going into it. Um, but yeah, I kind of enjoyed it. The humour was a, a bit better. Um, I thought the performance, particularly of McKenna Grace, was quite strong. Um, she was a lot more front and centre than I thought she would be. Um, Trevor is not, he's kind of secondary. Um, yeah, I think, yeah, so, so a lot of the things that I think the first, the original falls down on, humour, pacing, actual story, this improves on in almost all of that regard. I mean, it's, it's not, you know, amazing, but it's, it's a pretty solid film, I would say. Um, you know, kind of does the original some justice, I think. Would you tend to agree with that? Yeah, I'm pretty much with you on it. Um, I think it does well, like calling back to certain moments in the first one, which I do appreciate. Even though I don't like the first one, I do appreciate the callbacks. Um, I do think the kind of ghost was really good. There were a couple moments, like in the beginning, where like she was doing like the deadpan thing, and I was like cracking up. Like, <laughs> like was it? she said she had a joke to to Paul Rudd, and then she just did like the slowest wink of all time, and I was yeah, <laughs> I was cr- I thought it was hilarious. I was cracking up. So yeah, I think she did really well um, in that because I've only seen it. The only thing I've seen her in is um. Uh, designated Survivor. Well, obviously, I told you, but I didn't know it was her. But in Designated Survivor, she's like very different to the character she is here. Um, so yeah, no, she's a, she's a good, good little actress. Um, and I, in general, yeah, I think the film's fine. Um, it's, I have one like very big problem, I suppose, with the plot. Um, in that I just don't buy that, um, um, Egon or whatever his name is, um, would go and just like abandon everybody. And like from the character that I saw in, I don't know what happened with Ghostbusters 2, but from the character I saw in Ghostbusters 1, he didn't seem like a sort to just go, oh, the world's ending and then just leave and then not call and not even, not bring his daughter, call his daughter, see his daughter ever. Like it's, that yeah. to me just doesn't make, doesn't, didn't make sense. And like, I feel like they kind of like butchered his character a little bit. Because, like, not that he had super loads of character in the first one, but he just didn't seem like the type that would go and, like, abandon his family and his friends and take all the equipment and blah, 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 blah. Like, it, to me, it doesn't really make much sense. Yeah, I mean, I would yeah. I would be quite interested to see how Howard Ramis' family respond to this, because mm. in real life, he and um, Bill Murray uh, were estranged for quite some time. After, oh, really? Like, yeah, so I think after Groundhog Day, which Howard Ramis directed, um, they, they had quite a strange relationship. And, I mean, this film, it, it it kind of tries to redeem the character at the end, but even still, I didn't buy it. It didn't kind yeah. of do enough for, for the bashing that the character gets, um, yeah. particularly as Howard Ramis is the only one of the originals who is no longer alive. He mm. can't defend himself. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and I also felt that some of the uh, deep fake kind of stuff they used at the end, I was like, mm. I didn't hate it. I didn't love it. But you could tell, couldn't you? I mean, even if you didn't know that Hammer's, Harold Ramis wasn't alive anymore, the fact that he doesn't speak, <laughs> you're like, uh, yeah, that's something odd. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it did feel a bit kind of harsh on yeah. that character. Yeah. I, li- I like to think that because I think the guy who directed it is the guy is the son of the first guy who directed it. So I like to think yes. that there's some relationship uh, with Howard Ramis, his family, and whoever else, and the people who directed it. So I like to think that maybe they were consult- consulted about it before 
just to not be a fake plug, so they weren't too disrespectful. I don't know. But yeah, um, that aside, getting past that, um, I, I enjoyed it. I think it's a good film for like, to like reintroduce kids to Ghostbusters as well. Um, because it's not like the adults doing it now, it's like the kids who are Ghostbusters and they all got the, at the end, they all got the suits on and blah, 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 blah. I tell you also, I think the storyline with Trevor and the girl, Lucky was her name, apparently. I don't really know if ever called her Lucky. But mm-hmm. um was super underutilized, underutilized. Like um yeah. there, were po- there were points where he's like working at the burger place and it seems like they're pranking him and stuff like that and it just goes nowhere. Um and then all of a sudden like they're like really close and stuff, and I just felt like in another film where he's the main character instead of um McKenna Grace, then it that would have been more appropriate and they would that story got more fleshed out, but I feel like that kind of fell by the wayside in this Also part. the fact when he gets when he he's lied to her about his age and she finds out he's fifteen, she's like, No, nah, I don't care. But, yeah. okay. Well how old is she? <laughs> well presumably seventeen. Because that's what he lies about his age to say. Um But yeah. So a decent film. Um, yeah, it's it's, it's alright. Right. One thing that I wanna discuss with both of you is Spider Man. So um I've done quite an extensive rewatch by extensive i mean i've watched the two amazing spider-man films and homecoming again um we've obviously had the second trailer for no way home um which presume have you both seen it or are you trying to avoid it seen it chris seen it okay cool that's fine good because my brother's trying to avoid it so i uh, wasn't sure if you two were so in the second trailer um we see a little bit more um it shows um some of the footage from the bridge where doc ock is like battling um spider-man but then uh, as he pins him up against the wall peter parker his mask dissolves and, and he goes you're not peter parker um and then there's this whole thing where Doctor Strange is going, we're getting visitors from every universe. I mean, two others. Um, and then there's a key uh, piece of dialogue in, in the later part where he says... Oh, actually, sorry. sorry go <laughs> where he says go their destiny is to die at the hands of yeah. Spider-Man. Um, yeah. Again, not all of these characters have died, uh, but hey-ho, we'll gloss over that. <laughs> or maybe not. Um, well, well they, these, that's what I think. So these must be characters from different universes to the ones that we've seen. Are you sure they haven't all died? Well, no, because Lizard guy didn't die. Sandman didn't die. Yeah. Oh, didn't, I swear Sandman... Oh, did he not in the end? No, he, just fades, he... he fades away and fucks off into like, the dust. <laughs> mm, yeah, fair. Um, but yeah, yeah but it, does look, it, it does also look like Sandman's trying to help him, so... In the uh, trailer, so... Yeah, and, and um, Tom Holland's Peter Parker is, is basically... Seems like he's trying to save them, and it kind mm. of fr- frames Doctor Strange as a bit of a villain, um, which I find quite interesting. Um, yeah. But yeah, Chris, we've not heard from you much so far. Sorry about that. Um, what are your thoughts on this trailer and what it might mean for the film and, and the previous entries? Uh, what do I think of the trailer? Um, I haven't really tried to think about it too much because I don't want to try and figure out stuff and essentially spoil it for myself. But uh, I think it's definitely, um, with the Mexican one coming out as well, it definitely Brazilian. indicates that... Brazilian, sorry. 
it definitely indicates that there are several Spider-Men. Um, I mean, it wouldn't even surprise me if like Miles Morales showed up as well from a different universe or oh, cool. others. Huh? That would be cool. Sorry. Oh, please just doubt it. Um, but yeah, I think it's there's a lot of. I think well, yeah, I because I think there's going to be a lot of um, what's the word? Not foreshadowing, but a lot of scenes from other the previous films that are going to be replicated in this film, i.e. Uh, Zendaya's character of um, Mary Jane. Is it no? Who's she? She is Mary Jane. Sure. Isn't she? Sure. Um, yeah, yeah. MJ, yeah. Yeah, MJ. Falling is like literally the exact same as uh, the one from both of the films when Spider Man's trying to say, um, Tobey Maguire's trying to save uh, Kirsten Dunst's character, and where uh, Andrew Garfield is also an attempt to try and save um, Emma Stone's character. But I, I just feel like someone's going to come in and save her. And then obviously they've got the, the, the visuals of. Um, his best mate, who I can't remember his name of, yeah, but they're definitely indicating that he's. I feel like there is definitely some foreshadowing for him to become a villain. Um, although he does look like he's hanging on for dear life in one of the scenes, unless that is Peter, but I'm pretty sure it's his best mate. Um, but yeah, um, and I feel like there, there's probably two. I'm, I'm sure someone else said it to me, but it makes sense. It looks like there's two Doc Ocks as well. Oh, really? One seems to want to help him and one seems to not want to help him unless they've transitioned the scenes to make it look that way. I don't know. And also, in one of the, it looked like either Doc Ock has absorbed the nanobites or or whatever it's called on Peter's suit or Peter's given him the parts to help him. I'm not really sure. Yeah, there's sort of like Iron Man-esque kind of quality to one of his tentacles, isn't there? Um yeah. Okay, interesting. I didn't, I didn't get the villainy side of Ned, but I'll have to rewatch it. Um, didn't pick up on that. Um, well, I'm more going based on the like I know from the comics that someone of the same name does eventually become a villain. So I'm assuming that's what they've led to. Ah, okay. But I hope they don't do that. Huh? I like, I like Ned. I hope they don't do that. Yeah, I hope they don't. But I mean, in, in Homecoming, there's a there's another uh, kind of reference to one of Peter's love interests falling down a, a, a long hole when she's in the um Liz falls down the elevator shaft in um mm. Washington, um, which I'd forgotten about and I was like, Oh okay, that's another interesting one. So I mean all these women just fall down long shoots in in, <laughs> in the Spider Man franchise. Um have have either of you watched any of the previous Spider Man films recently? Uh, yeah, I watched. Uh, I watched one, three, and Amazing Spider-Man one, and Amazing. I watched all of them apart from Spider-Man two, like a few months ago, about six months okay. ago. Okay, Chris, what about you? Uh, I've seen Amazing Spider-Man one, uh, Spider-Man one, and I believe I saw Spider-Man. Was it three? Okay, so, I which one I watched. So these films are relatively fresh in our mind. Um, mm. The Tobey Maguire ones are not so much for me, but I mean, I remember at the time when I watched the Andrew Garfield ones, not being like super impressed by them. Um, and I don't know whether that was maybe because I was like, Tobey Maguire, Spider-Man, how dare you try and change it? Um, and there were things that were quite different, um, such as there's a focus on 
Peter Parker's dad, and the he was very much integral to both the films in terms of him working with Kurt Connors and then him working with Norman Osborn in, in trying to save his life, um, which I really liked uh, on second viewing. And he's also a very different Spider-Man in the sense that even from the first time we see him at school, he's not necessarily the outcast. He's more like one of these, I don't know, like skater kids who's not part of the popular group, but he's also not like a nerd like um, Toby Maguire's one very much was. And he maybe had like a bit of a swagger about him. Yeah, he's um, like a loner who chooses to be a loner. Yeah, but he he seems like he's cool mm. in, in like a I don't give a fuck way. Um, yeah, yeah. And yeah, and, and it very quickly he, there's people that know that he's Spider-Man. Um, so very different. But so it was definitely went up in my estimations uh, for, on rewatch. What did the rewatch do for the previous films for, for you both? Start with you, Ob. Um, so for me, so I start with the originals because people. So I'll just quickly say people say that like Spider-Man Two is like one of the best superhero films of all time, and I cannot remember for laughing what happens in that film. So I really, really need to rewatch it. Um, but Spider-Man One, I think that holds up really well. But apart from like the kind of like crappy CGI and stuff. <laughs> but that side, I think is, is still pretty good. I really like Toby's, uh, portrayal of, um, uh, Peter Parker. Um, cause that's for me what, what Peter Parker is, is like, it's like super nerdy and stuff like that. Not that I really know any of like the comics or anything like that, but that's just what I kind of like feel like he should be like. Um, I think James Franco is terrible in all these films. <laughs> oh, really? Awful. I think he's so bad personally. I just think so. Spider-Man Three. Spider-Man Three is a terrible film, in my in my personal opinion. I think it's really bad. But like James Franco, in that film is fucking like unbelievably, <laughs> unbelievably bad. Like at one point, his character gets amnesia and he just starts talking like, like a five-year-old who's got like brain damage. I'm just like, what, what happened? To you? <laughs> it's so bad. Um, and then yeah, like Peter goes through the whole emo thing in Spider-Man Three, and like it's just, oh, it's just so bad. I, I really, I think it's really bad. Um, the Amazing Spider-Man films, I think, are, like you said, better than I remember, and I think much better than they're giving credit for. I know they're not perfect. I know the second one's iffy because of, like, you know, Jamie, like, Electro's not the greatest, and, you know, Rhino's a bit, and stuff like that. Yeah. But, the in general... a lot sillier. Yeah, very much so. And I think because they were trying to set up the Sinister Six thing, so it maybe gets a bit more comic book-like. So, which is fair enough. But the, those two films, I think... I really, I like Andrew Garfield a lot more than I originally did. Um, I think it is a different take on Peter Parker, which is good, because like, I wouldn't want him just copying what Tobey Maguire's doing. And I think likewise with Tom Holland, he's a bit different as well, which is good. Um, I think the chemistry, then what sells it for me in the film is the chemistry between Andrew Garfield and Emma Stone. Um, yeah. Like, I think their chemistry just like carries that entire film. And it's basically like, the first one is basically, both of them, basically like a rom-com, but with superhero elements in it, which I which I really enjoy that aspect of it, and I think does really well. And also the fact of the second one that Gwen Stacy dies, I think shows that there actually is like that's something that rarely ever gets done in superhero films now, and even back then, like actual stakes, like something it's like like you were cautious about something about something going wrong, and that thing that you didn't want to happen actually did happen. And I would have loved to have seen how they how he dealt with that, or how other characters dealt with that in a third film. Obviously, we didn't get that, but. I like that the fact that they have, they, have, they have the balls to do it. I know it is a comic book storyline, so like the precedent is there, but I think a lot of people, like, I couldn't see Kevin Feige killing off, um, 
Michelle or MJ in uh, the MCU right now. I just don't think that he would ever do that. Um, or anything like that. Um, and yeah, so I, I think those films are pretty good. And then uh, Homecoming and Far From Home, which I rewatched. Homecoming's better than I remember. It's good, but uh, Far From Home, not quite as good as I remember, but still pretty good. I think I prefer Homecoming because I think it's a bit more grounded. But I don't like, I think maybe again, briefly we spoke about this, I don't like the fact that like the MCU version of Spider-Man um, it's kind of like not carried but like he's kind of like there's always an Avenger <laughs> in the background kind of like to help him kind of thing or like yeah. to, to kind of take a bit, of, a bit of spotlight off him in both those films it's more it's Iron Man I think and obviously in this next film it's going to be Doctor Strange kind of thing and I would like to see this version of uh, Peter Parker Tom Holland's version just have a film with just him and his his like people surrounding him and not like overshadowed by Tony Stark or Doctor Strange or whoever else kind of thing. Yeah, and I I think that's a product of the like Homecoming and Far From Home and No Way Home being yeah. MCU and Sony products whereas obviously all the others were just Sony. So if Sony was allowed to just do a Tom Holland one, then they would not bother with any of the Avengers and I think that would be to its credit. Um, but yeah, I mean... I don't know if I'll ever get that. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, guys, I'm really sorry. Before you go move on to Chris, I have to go. So I apologise. Okay. Um, no I'll see you guys later. And I'm looking forward to listening to the rest of this when you put it up on uh, SoundCloud. Cool. cool. Right, see you guys later. Yeah. Yeah. Bye. Bye. Yeah, Chris, what has the, the rewatch done to you in terms of like how you thought about the previous Spider-Man films? Um... What have they done? Um, I think upon rewatch, I liked Amazing Spider-Man better. I appreciated his like intelligence a bit more because I think before, I think before, if you have such a comparison to Tobey Maguire's one, so like Tobey Maguire's one is nerdy and does get beat down a lot, and it's like he's not winning. Mm-hmm. Like Andrew Garfield's one, I don't know if I necessarily agree with whoever made the statement about him being a bit. Um, cooler than he is but um, I think he's a similar thing but he's just so intelligent it's just like he's basically gifting himself his way through the Spider-Man process like he knows how to make the web immediately he he, he, his intelligence is his greatest asset and his greatest downfall in the first film essentially because obviously he essentially makes the lizard arm for um What's his face? Lizard, essentially. Yeah. But I don't know. I, I think that... I think there are no elements of Tobey Maguire in Tom Holland, which is quite sad, because I think Tobey Maguire's character is a unique look at Spider-Man. It's probably the Spider-Man that everyone kind of thinks about, because obviously he is the first Spider-Man. I think that's where almost Andrew Garfield's one fell a bit short. No one could really, uh, to begin with, couldn't really see him as Spider-Man. But I think comic book lovers can because they know the different Spider-Men, the different like attributes they all have and stuff like that. Um, I don't particularly like Kirsten Dunst's character in the original Spider-Man. Okay, uh, how come? Because I think she's they portrayed her as too much of a dam- damsel in distress. Like, she begins with, it begins with being quite a confident woman, 
fine, she's got the bad home life, that's fine. Then she become, tries to become an actress, is not really working out for her very well. Um, she struggles quite a lot, I feel. And then she's getting, basically, she, she goes into a relationship with a guy she doesn't really love, just because. What's his face? Um, Harry Osborne. She's just doing it just because. That's what I get the impression of. And then she has that eureka moment where she realises, oh my god, the guy next door loves me. Like, or wherever, I'm pretty sure who's next door to her, whatever. Yeah. Um, I, just, I just think, I think she needs to be empowered a bit more in the film. Uh, that might change in number two. I actually can't remember number two, so I must have watched number three. Um, I don't know if she, that happens in number two. I feel like she's pushed to the side yet again because I feel like he... No, they get together, don't they, number two? Or is it number three they get together? I think it is number two. They get together. Is that the one where he also proposes? God, now you're asking. Uh, um... Find out. That's the, it's the one where he he sort of falls out a bit with um Harry because that's when Harry finds out that Spider Man killed killed her dad. Is that dad? Yeah. yeah, there's conflict there. But I think you're right in that. Like, I mean, the portrayal that Emma Stone gives of Gwen Stacy is she is she's super smart, super confident, like knows who she is and what she wants, and and actually helps. Peter out quite a bit, particularly in the well, the first film when she hits Lizard with a extinguisher when he's um, got the better of Peter, and then the second one where she's one of the reasons why the electricity comes back on into New York. So yeah, it's uh, different characterizations, and I like the fact that they didn't just stick with MJ. You know, it wasn't just a new MJ. It was. They're focusing on Gwen Stacy this time. And I think there is a Gwen Stacy in Spider-Man 3, isn't there? But she's not a massive part of it. Yeah, so in Spider-Man 3, she, she's in it and he's like, uh, she's isn't she going out with Brock? Or she's fan, she fancies Brock? If, maybe I haven't watched number three recently. I'm sure I did. And he's, he's the one where he becomes emo and he dances down the street in it. And he yeah. probably seduces her and then Mary Jane gets bare upset by it because I'm pretty sure she sees it or something or the day of breakups briefly i don't know like i do think number spider-man one is definitely toby's best i'm gonna bite my tongue on this aren't i because i haven't seen number two recently i feel like toby Maguire's number first film is the better better film uh it does have its flaws but i think that's more because of generational improvements um is spider-man 2 the one where he saves the train yes because that is fucking iconic that is a wicked yeah. scene um does beg the question that now hundreds of people now know his identity, but um <laughs> yeah, that's that's iconic, so maybe I do maybe I'm not giving number two enough credit. But number three, for all the villains and all the um all the uh hype for it, I feel like it fell short and I think maybe that was his biggest problem. Um I Again, I don't know if Harry Osborne's acting as when he loses his memory is is that bad because I don't know what you do, what happens to you when you lose your memory. But I have to agree with Obi. I don't think um, uh, what's his face does a very good job of it. Um, do you think Dane DeHaan does much better in Amazing Spider-Man Two? 
see, I think this is this is what I was saying in the chat. I think because DVDs and films give us like and like deleted things, I think it really like uh, changes my perspective on the whole thing. Um, no, uh, actually, to answer your question, I don't think he's particularly great as Harry Osborn. I don't. Um, I think, in my vision, maybe his acting as Harry Osborn's better. But the visual of Harry Osborn is better at, as um, the uh, Frank, uh, Franco. I think mm. his visual as, as Harry Osborn is is what I've become attuned to. Like he's a suave-looking guy, kind of thing. Do you know what I mean? Um, yeah. I think the Amazing Spider-Man's they've they've fallen a little short because of their cuts in the scenes they've cut out. So the I don't know if it was an end credit scene or if it was a cut-out scene where the dad arrives at the grave when he's just, like, mourning at the grave. I can't remember if it's number one or number two. I feel like it must be number two. No, it's number one. It's number one. Because number two, the end credit scene is the Sinister Six, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So, like, they set up so many things. And, like, it's like when we were talking about the trailer. I remember, like, years ago when we were talking about the trailer for it. And, like, in the trailer we see that... um, Harry Osborn is tracking Peter Parker, but they cut that completely out of the film. I think think that actually makes sense that they kept, if they kept it in, because obviously we have this portrayal of Peter Parker where his parents are, have worked for Harry, have worked for Oscorp. They've done some secret work for Oscorp. They've basically been outed by Oscorp and they've had to go on the run or gone missing or killed. Um, So, yeah, I feel, I don't know. I think both of them have good attributes that could probably work well with our current Peter Parker, but, um, yeah, I don't know. I'm just rambling. What about you? Yeah, I mean, the, the biggest thing I got from the rewatch, um, and I do need to rewatch Spider-Man 3 because I haven't seen it since it originally came out in the cinema, which was 12 years ago. Um is that I wish we'd got Amazing Spider-Man 3. Because oh, yeah. that set up, even though I wasn't like super keen on the look of Green Goblin, I preferred the fact that it's just a man in a suit rather than him getting all scaly and like the blonde hair and weird eyebrows that he gets. Um, but the whole, that, that mystery man who at the end of the first one goes to Lizard and at the end of the second one goes to Harry, I was like, yeah, really looking forward to that. And, and again, I wasn't super keen on Rhino either, but when you see that scene when um, he's walking down into, is it Ravenscroft Institute, and he walked past all of the, he walked past, I think it's the vulture suit, the tentacles from Doc Ock, uh, Rhino's costume, and a couple of others, you're like, oh no, this is going to be awesome. And yeah, it's a shame that they didn't get to make that, um, because I think that would have been cool. And they're obviously kind of building up to it in the Tom Holland version, because you've got now Vulture, Shocker and Scorpion um, who are established in the MCU. Um, I don't know who the others are particularly. Well, obviously you've got Doc Ock and stuff. Um, So, yeah, I wonder, do you reckon there's any chance that if No Way Home does really well and people respond well to Andrew Garfield, if he's in it, um, that we might get an amazing Spider-Man 3? I mean, I would love to have an Amazing Spider-Man 3 and a Spider-Man 4. 
Um, however, I don't think it's going to happen. I think it's uh, wishful thinking. I think Andrew Garfield has been burnt too much by Sony. I think uh, the way he was let go of at the time, if I remember correctly, was a bit harsh. Um, I guess he has such good on-screen chemistry with Emma Stone because they were together at the time and she probably wouldn't appear in Amazing Spider-Man 3 unless they did a Gwenpool kind of vibe where she brought back to life somehow, some way. Um, it, it would be interesting. Um, I just don't think the, pro- the proper parties would come together and do it. But I've heard rumours that Tom Holland wants to take a break and Marvel want him to take a little bit of a break so he can grow older in the films. Um, or by account grow older in line with the MCU timeline. Um, so it would be prime time to bring out these two films. Um, mm-hmm. And upon rewatching, I mean, I feel like. Yeah, go on. Sorry, go on. No, okay. go on. no, it's alright, sorry. I was gonna say, I feel like it's maybe a a free a free hit for for Sony because you know, I mean, Gwen probably wouldn't be in it because she died in the second one, but they had cast Shailene Woodley as Mary Jane. Um, although all of her scenes were cut, so maybe she would think, I don't want to, but then you can just cast someone else as Mary Jane. Um, yeah, I feel like if they could get it together, I know it obviously cost them a couple hundred million dollars, but if you released an Amazing Spider-Man 3 off the back of a positive reception of No Way Home, you're going to get people going to see it and you're going to recoup your money. So I don't necessarily feel like that would be like a massive risk for them. Um, the bigger risk would maybe be where would you go with a Spider-Man 4? Um, but, you know, presuming they have the rights to make solo Spider-Man films, I don't know if they still do. Um, then again, you know, they don't necessarily have anything to lose. If everyone's up for it, um, then, you know, like you said, if, if Tom Holland's and Kai's is, um, taking a break, then there's going to be people wanting Spider-Man content. And particularly as Sony have ramped up this Venom verse and Morbius and they've, Craven the Hunter they've got coming out and stuff like that. So for those films to exist and then not to be a Spider-Man, um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> I'm very, I'm surprised Amazing Spider-Man 3 got cancelled. Did it not do very well? Um, let me have a look. The first one made seven five eight. Be bad. But are you are you still hyped for Spider-Man No Way Home? Yeah. Uh, also, also, I've heard good things about it so far from people who've watched it. So. People have actually watched it. Well, someone's got to review it. Fair enough. Well, tickets are actually released tomorrow as we're recording. So, um, oh, I've been looking. I've been kept. I've been keep kept going back to like. I kept going back to it, like view to see when it's been released, and I haven't seen it yet. Yeah, they they did a thing on Black Friday uh, where they said, "Oh, Spider Monday is in Cyber Monday." the tickets will be released. Uh, okay, okay, okay. That's got me hyped even more. When is it again? Like the 8th? No, 5th. Seven, oh, tomorrow is the 29th, but it's released on the 15th of December. Oh, blimey, it's bare far away. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I am very looking forward to it. 
Um, I think it's, I think it's going to be. I think it's either going to hit the nail on the head or if it's going to it's going to fall so far short. Um, I although from everything that we've seen from the trailer, uh, no real spoilers have really come out about it. I think I think it's going to be good. I hope it's going to be good. There is such high expectation for it. It's uh, yeah. It's, yeah, it's a bit damning that there's such high expectation. I think because if yeah. it does do, yeah, and if, I if assume it, with Harry Osborne. Wait, are we going to get Harry Osborne, Dane Jahan's one in there? Uh, I know he's dead. Oh no, they're all dead. No, wait, what? Yeah, Dane DeHaan's Harry's one wasn't dead. Was he not? I thought he got stabbed at the end, though. No, he um he was in prison and was going to be part of the Sinister Six. Yeah, yeah, you're right. yeah, yeah. And they won't get James Franco back because I think there were some allegations about him. So yeah, I think kind of on grata. Um, but. Yeah, I mean the thing is, is if this if this film is not at least an eight point five, people are going to be disappointed, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, it's going to be mad. Uh, but yeah, we will review that. I'm definitely. I mean, if there's a midnight screening, I'm seeing it. You know, uh, I don't care. I'm going to go into work tired or something because I can't. I can't potentially I see can't. something on social media. Agreed. Agreed. If someone even whispers. Something I'm going to be fuming. Going to be fuming. <laughs> but I, I think we'll be all right. I think I'm going to go. For, I'm trying to get a midnight screening at view if there is if there is such a screening. Um, yeah, honestly, it's got such high expectation. I, I, I do worry for it a little bit because of that high expectation. Yeah, true. But then if it goes well, like I've said from the beginning. Sony can really make some pee off this. They can do an, a Spider-Man 4. They can do an Amazing Spider-Man 3. They can probably persuade Tom Holland to get going with another Spider-Man trilogy. Mm. You know, right. Where do you think Venom fits into this? Because obviously Doctor Strange in the trailer says all these villains died at the hands of Spider-Man. That isn't true. But, yeah, do you see... Well, do, you see, do you see Venom being a part of it, or is it just going to be like a little cameo? So I rewatched Venom too, right? And the ending, uh, like, still doesn't really 100% make sense to me. Um, I feel like I feel like he was about to, the symbiote was about to do something at the end, and then he didn't quite get there, and then the flash happened, and then all of a sudden the TV changes to the channel about Spider-Man, and the the, the room changes a little bit, doesn't it? Which I think. <laughs> anyway, which implies to me that they've walked to a different world. So, and I've read somewhere that this, all these things happen at the exact same time. So when Wanda does her magic, when um, Kang can no longer see the future, when Doctor Strange does his magic, when um, another one as well. Yeah, when the Flash happens in Venom and I think there's one more all these all them big flashes of energy happen at the identical time apparently or they're in sync the way they happen okay so it makes me think that one of them has triggered the rest of them right but then they're all molded into the same universe in that moment okay Which yeah I, in will wonder vision t- will wonder turn up in doctor strange uh in uh spider-man like as an end credit scene to then lead her on to uh, Doctor Strange in whatever time, whenever it's being released now. 
I imagine so, because yeah, she's she's a big part of multiverse madness, isn't she? Yeah. Um, and I guess the fact that Doctor Strange Two is the multiverse of madness, whereas Far uh, No Way Home seems to be kind of Spider Verse rather than general multiverse. It seems just like Spider-Man characters coming through at this in this film, whereas I guess with Doctor Strange you would maybe have characters I don't know from other you know franchises coming through. Um, but yeah, I mean I don't really know where I want Venom to fit in because obviously the end credit of Venom Two puts him in that world now. But do I really want to see him interact with Tom Hardy and not really? Yeah, honestly, I don't care to see. Tom Hardy's Venom in this film. Uh, I think, unfortunately, we will see him. Uh, but then he, his character doesn't make sense to me because I feel like the Venom will want Spider-Man, but they made an agreement at the end of the film that they were going to do, be like an anti-hero. They're going to get the bad guys, but essentially he can eat them if he wants to. That's the vibe I got. So, yeah, I'm a bit baffled uh, how they're going to find it, but yeah. I'm sure they'll. <laughs> <laughs> but, so, yeah, I just don't. I don't really care for it. Fair enough. Off of Spider-Man, what else have you been watching? Is there anything that's particularly been ingrained? I, I watched. Uh, what have I watched? I watched 1917, and I've watched Sonic. Sonic. Okay. Yeah. There's a there's a sequel to that coming out, isn't there? Yeah, I believe there is, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, what, did, what did you think of it? Do you know what? Like, it it stayed true to most elements of the uh, old, uh, the cartoons and and stuff, like the big-eyed hedgehog that can run fast, it's called the, the rings that can essentially teleport him. I didn't know they could do that, but that was a cool little thing. It was a bit, it's just a cheesy kids' film, basically. So that's what you've got to look at it as. And that's what it was. And kids will probably love it. Adults probably will appreciate some parts of it. But it was just a cheesy film. Like the 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 main guy and his partner in the show bounced off each other quite well. And she she would say stuff like, "You see, I'm holding myself quite well after seeing this alien creature." And he was like, "Yes, I know. You're doing really, really well." And stuff like that. Um, but it was just, it's just a kids' film. That's the thing. Like, it's, it's not really for adults. And it, it was okay. It was okay. It was a decent film. Uh, and then 1917. Yeah, that. I mean, a, a good film. Uh, is it, is it necessarily my jam of a war film? I don't, I don't know. Uh, like, have you? I assume you've seen it, right? Yeah, it's the one that's presented as one long take, isn't it? Yes, yeah, yeah. He's just he's he's got the mission of stopping uh, whatever section of the army from running into battle and essentially killing themselves because it's a trick. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the scene, obviously, where they took it in one shot and he kept barging into people. Obviously, that wasn't meant to happen, but he car- they carried on anyway. That was pretty interesting. It's very, it was very uh, dramatic, which is good. It was very emotional, which is good. You could real, feel, you could feel real empathy for the for the guy, for all the characters really. Um, but yeah, it was a decent film. Like, I'll give it probably seven point five, maybe eight. Uh, Did you like it more than Dunkirk? I haven't seen Dunkirk. Oh okay. 
Why did you? I feel like I did. I feel like both Dunkirk and I mean, nineteen seventeen is very like heavy on the style because of the one take nature yeah. of it. Obviously, yeah. brings some limitations, but it also gives it that sense of urgency, I guess. Um, and yeah, I can't remember if I felt it worked all the time, but certainly for some parts, like you said, when he's running across the battlefield, um, and there's that part in like that blown out city in France where he's like hiding and people are trying to find him. I felt like, and it was really dark. I think there was like a lot of tension there. Um, but yeah, I mean, Dunkirk's also like stylish in terms of the senses. One part was at land, one part was at sea, one part was in the air, and they all set at the same time but cover different periods of fans of time. So yeah, it's a very like stylized war films. But um, I still think the benchmark recently is is um, that one with Andrew Garfield. What was it called? Uh, Hansel Ridge. That's and, it. Yeah. Um, Ridge was really good. Uh, uh, Fury, I thought was really good. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I don't really watch a lot of war films. I'm going to be honest. In my roster of war films, uh, the ones I can name off the top of my head are them three plus uh, uh, Saving Private Ryan. But I don't really watch them. Maybe that's my issue. Um, but I haven't seen a really bad one as of yet, which is probably speaks volumes, I guess. Yeah, true. Um, <laughs> we've not discussed Squid Game yet, so you've oh. seen it all, obviously, haven't you? Yeah, I've seen it all, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, Squid Game, I mean, we're reviewing it quite late. Uh, I'm sure everyone in the bloody world's seen it by now. Um, it's it's done phenomenally well, uh, considering it's a subtitled kind of weird thriller um, from South Korea. But yeah, it's done very very well. Um, but it's about uh, kind of a kind of bad dad who who gambles and doesn't treat his family very well. His mother and um, he's just down on his luck. He encounters this mysterious man who challenges him to a game of like basically throwing a piece of paper onto the floor and he has to try and like knock it over or something yeah. um i'm not really sure what you'd call that game and and there's not really an equivalent in, in our culture but um he basically does it so many times until he wins and then um he's invited to take part in this game where uh he could potentially win 45.6 billion won which I think is about 20 million quid. Um, and so he goes to this facility um, and they're told that they have to play this game. And if you make it through all six games, uh, then you win a share of the prize. Um, and the first episode, the first game is Red Light, Green Light, which is basically what's the time, Mr. Wolf. And it becomes apparent quite quickly that if you uh, lose the game, you lose your life. Um, so... It's, yeah, very much that kind of ramps up the stakes. Uh, um, kind of, I guess, there's a tangential link to like these escape room films and um, Alice in Borderland where like the, the innocent game becomes deadly. Um, but this is done in, in a kind of very colourful way, which... I think maybe adds to the menace because it's not like really dark and grotty. There's a lot of like fluorescent colors and the 
the games are children's games and um so I guess that adds a bit more like you know the fact that it's so violent um adds that like strangeness um but yeah I mean obviously I think there's six games aren't there and it ends with uh the main character um Jihun um up against his his friend former friend Sangwoo who was like the uh, the golden child of their village yeah. um, but all of the characters in this have had financial issues and, and it's, this is a way for them to get out of debt um, and, and there's like a subplot of this police officer who's trying to find his brother who went missing a few years ago and turns out to be the head honcho of, of uh, oh my god yeah that, I feel like that plot line was, was kind of weak because He's like trying to find his brother, but his brother has clearly been missing for like three years, and he's only just tried to find him, um, and, and then he just gets presumably killed off quite quickly. And, and I was like, oh, that kind of went nowhere. But but generally, I really enjoyed it. Um, what did what were you what were your thoughts on it? And and what kind of game did you enjoy the most? Oh, what game did I enjoy the most? That's a good question. Um... I thought it was really good, like, throughout. I think maybe the later storyline was a bit weak, i.e. the old man. Um, but I feel like it was always going to be quite weak, considering the how well the series itself did. Um, I like all the things that people have pointed out afterwards, i.e. all the... And obviously, big, every time we have this chat, it's a spoiler, but... Um, like how the old man is basically the orchestrator of all this. Like mm-hmm. in the first scene, he can be seen slightly moving in the first game, um, which is Red Light, Green Light, which is a, a very good game, very well done. Um, then, what, what's the second game? God, it's been a while since I watched it. Um, second game, second, is the second game the, the Biscuit? So this, uh, trying to find it. So yes, yeah. So they 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 got to get a shape out of the honeycomb. Yeah, I can't remember if he tricks get cheats his way out of that one. I can't remember if you see his. Oh, he licks, doesn't he? he gets told by a geezer to lick. Um, third game. Uh, you're gonna have to remind me of the games if you watched it, if you've watched it recently, mate. Um, I'm, I'm trying to find it. Hang on. Um, uh, no, obviously the last tug of game. war. Tug of war, yes. Um, in that scene, you can see the old man isn't actually attached to the rope. Oh, is he like, not? Like the other contestants, apparently he's not. Um, which would imply that he's untouchable throughout, which is good. I think it's like a small detail. You wouldn't look for it, but ha- now you look for it, you can see it, kind of thing. Um, then obviously he never does the platforms. He on purposely tries to teach the guy a lesson in the Marvels game and he never gets to play the Squid game. So that's Yeah, because all... he, he dies, doesn't he, in air quotes, during the Marvel game because I think that was one of the shock, most shocking parts of it um, was that they were all told to find a partner to do it in twos and because the previous one, when they'd gone into groups of ten, it was tug of war, everyone was partnering up with someone that they felt was either good or that they liked and then it was like, only one of you will survive because uh, 
the winner, you, one of you will win marbles and one of you won't. And so I think that was one of the most kind of emotive episodes because you had um, Al- Ali was was fucked over by Sangwoo. Um, yeah. And then uh, that other kind of young girl who was friends with Kang Se Bok, um, she passed away. Um, and then obviously the old man, which at this time we didn't realise uh, he was the orchestrator. But yeah, so it was like, shit, they've just killed off half of the people we liked. <laughs> and if you, if you notice as well, the old man was the decision maker on whether they all get to leave or got to stay. And he let them all leave. He was the guy who was yelling when everyone was killing each other, saying, stop, stop this now, stop this now. And they stopped it, all the killings, and they stopped people from murdering each other. And obviously there was a, obviously the scene where he wet himself, but um, he, there was an empty water bottle next to his head, so oh. he the people to think, make him think he was vulnerable. But equally, he was also what we appear to be see as very, very ill. So he may also have just wet himself. We don't know. But um, I thought it was just very, very clever. Um, like you said, the the side the side plot of um, of the the brother trying to find his brother. Not necessary, but I guess it was there. Uh, the end plot of him doing it all as a game, I actually didn't mind. I thought that was fine. Like, he's, this guy's a million billionaire. He can essentially, in that world, do whatever he wants. And whether that's whether that's quite apparent in, in Korea or North Korea, is it? South Korea. South Korea. Apparently there is quite heavy poverty there, so... Um, but... Yeah, I mean, so, I mean, Parasites... Obviously, a, a recent South Korean film, and that that very much deals with the inequality in terms of rich and poor in South Korea. So I think no, it's interesting that that's a theme in in two of the biggest South Korean exports recently. But so you didn't mind the old man twist because I really didn't like it. I was like, you haven't. To me, it was too much of a one eighty. It. I mean, when you say all those things about watching it back, you can maybe think, oh, okay, that makes sense. But he was such a a character that everyone felt a lot of sympathy for, even as an audience. And then for him to be behind it all, yeah, I was a bit like, mm, it seems cheap. It does seem a bit cheap. Um, I'll have to agree with you on that. It's, um, yeah, yeah, you're right. It is, it, 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 as an audience member, you get so invested in these characters, so it is quite a, quite a sucker punch. But, um, yeah, it didn't bother me. It was not over here nor there. I feel thought there could have been a better way of bringing him back in. But um... also the explanation for him just being like, yeah, I just could, you know, I was bored. It's like, that's not a good explanation. There's no like, you know, deeper meaning behind it. Um, But I mean, yeah, it was a shame because that sort of that's one of the last things you remember about it. And also when um, uh, when Jihan makes his hair red and then goes back into the game. I was like, why have you turned your hair red? You just, I don't know, just looked ridiculous. Yeah, that was so weird. That was such a, that was such a, an odd thing. But apparently they're going to make a season two. So I guess he might be in it again. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's that part when the police officer goes into the archives and finds that it's been going for years and years and years. Yeah. So, I mean, presumably the old man's been behind it the whole time, but why at that point he decided to go in. Maybe he knew it was his last chance, but... I did like when the rich people went um, and they were having the people... They got to uh, 
put their feet up on people in that section where the guy essentially wanted, a, wanted sexual favours from the policeman. Um, sounded like there was other ones around. Didn't sound like that was the only one. Sounded like there's multiple of them. In, but multiple in, games going on at the same time? Or, or at different times, but multiple, not necessarily just in that area. Okay. I could be just understanding, or the translation might be a bit um, not not as good as I, as we think it is on Netflix. But yeah, I got the I got the opinion that there was. Yeah, uh, I feel like I feel like you might be right. I feel like I remember seeing screens of like different things happening, like different areas. So yeah, I mean, presumably it wouldn't just happen in one location if it's like a really successful kind of business model so yeah i mean there's lots to explore about it i mean there's even that organ donation um organ harvesting subplot which kind of again didn't particularly go anywhere um yeah that was a bit um because i thought that was quite clever actually because i thought if the main guy was orchestrating that as well i thought wow that's that's really clever because you're killing off these people you take them away quick enough then you can harvest all their organs and sell them on the black market and make even more money can't you but it was like other people doing it. It didn't make sense to me. Um, also, the other side to the thing is, um, a lot of people were saying, well, in the original game, the co- the colour of the cards were red and blue. So uh, our main character picked the blue card to throw out the red card, and therefore he became a contestant in the game. And they're saying if some people picked the red card, then they would become the invigilators of the game. Okay. All the people managing the game were in red. That's, yeah, that's true. Um, they, have, they, they have less to gain from it if there's someone watching the game rather than playing the game. But then I guess the people watching the game don't essentially lose their life. Unless, of course, in that one case, the geezer does his, poor, his job shit and gets shot in the face. <laughs> so, yeah, it's interesting. It's interesting. I- I think it's good that a lot of people have watched this because a lot of people turn their nose up at like foreign language stuff. Yeah. Um, and I think there's a lot of interesting stories to, to be told, different perspectives, different kind of contexts. And, and, you know, rather than waiting for the inevitable American remake and going, oh, this isn't that good. So therefore Squid Game must mean shit. Um, you know, watch the originals and, and you'll get a lot better understanding. Um, have you seen? Yeah, go on. I was going to say, have you seen Alice in Borderland? No, but I've heard it's quite similar. Yeah, I watched the first episode and it was, there was like, it was like escape roomy, um, right, but, yeah. but I didn't continue it. Maybe I'll go back to it, but, um, that's Japanese, so. Um, okay. Well, there was a, um, I can't remember what it was called now, uh, is it God Among Us or something? It's a, it's a film, uh, it's pretty much of the same sort of, uh, vibe. Let me check and see what's called actually. Yeah, cool, cool. No, that's not it. No, no, no. Oh, what's it called? Uh, is it Japanese? Um, no. Yeah. No, I can't find it. Why can't I cannot find it? Oh yeah, as God will. Uh, it's like a film I saw a snippet of. Uh, it's like it's similar to this. Like they've got to participate in the games, um, 
or they or they essentially die, and the winner of the game becomes, I believe, God. Oh, okay. And that was brought out in 2014. Okay. I think it's one of those sort of premises that comes around every so often. I, I remember watching a film with Michael Douglas from, um, it must be in the early 2000s or late 90s, called The Game, and, and he has to... Yeah, he has to kind of complete a series of tasks or he or someone that he loves will, will die. And I think it's, it's one of those premises that you can keep reusing, but in quite different ways, you know, depending on how inventive the games are and, and stuff like that. Um, I mean, there was, there's been at least like three escape room films in the last few years and the much of the muchness, but yeah, I would, I would, I would start a season two, although maybe just, you know, maybe just keep it as a one and done. Yeah, I mean, I think because of how well it's done, it's going to have a season two, similar to that Hellbound series that everyone's now, well, I haven't heard many people rave about, but I've heard from the internet that it's doing just as well, if not better, than Squid Game did, so oh, okay. might be another one to watch, but like I said, like I, internet chatter and actual people telling you chatter is two different things, like if I heard you say, oh, it's a good film then I'd be like, okay, that's probably a good film. But if I read on the internet, it's a good film. It could be a load of bollocks, really. Yeah, you've got you've got to trust the people's opinions. Yeah. And, um, yeah. I'm surprised at how many people this has has like have like this. Like, I feel like, yeah, it's just and a lot of people have said it's really good, and it's just surprising how well it's been received. Um, so yeah, definitely. But yeah, like I said, hopefully it encourages people to watch more foreign language stuff. Um, there's, uh, I mean, people, people have been watching Lupin, which is on Netflix. That's like a kind of heist, um, uh, what do you call it? Yeah, like Ocean's Eleven E type thing with, um, oh, the, the French film. Um, I started watching a, I think it's Danish, uh, kind of criminal thriller on, um, Netflix called The Chestnut Man. So, there's a lot of good stuff out there that's uh, not in English. If you can watch the subtitles or if you can stand for dubbing, which I can't, but um Oh, I can I can get I can get over dubbing. Dubbing's fine. <laughs> it's funny, Lauren Lauren's nan recommended Chestnut Man to us and we started watching it and we were like, This is in Danish and she was like, What? She didn't realise it was a foreign language production because her Netflix had defaulted to dubbing and she just didn't notice. Oh wow, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. Anything else you want to discuss before we wrap up? Um, no. The only other thing I can think of that I've watched is Equalizer. Um, but we've all seen that, and then so we all know it's a quality film. Mm. Uh, the only thing I would say is I'm surprised they've done the Equalizer prequel. If I'm honest, I think there's a TV show called The Equalizer with. I say Queen Latifah. Oh, is that? Yeah, um, which kind of went very under the <laughs> under the radar, but yeah, I, I presume it's based on the same thing. Yeah, it's a CBS production. Oh, it's got four point nine on IMDb. So. Oh God, yeah, no, we're watching that, but no, but like obviously that we've got Equalizer two, and I guess there could be potential for Equalizer three, but like I feel like, I feel like um, I feel like we don't know that much about his previous life unless in Equalizer 2 there is and I can't remember 
but it's such a good, it's actually such a good series, uh, such a good film even. Um, yeah. Well, yeah. So well, it holds up, which is a good thing. Yeah, I think it's probably, it's, do you know what's surprising? It probably does make, probably does reach the top ten of tip films of mine. It was really good. I did really enjoy it. Okay. Um, but then again, I don't, I don't particularly think we need to a top ten film review anytime soon because we did one not too long ago, right? I think we did, yeah. I don't, yeah. I can't, too many of the releases coming out. I haven't heard of, I haven't heard any of us give superior superlatives to like any of the recent releases in the last, I want to say two years. Yeah, basically since COVID, I don't think any of us have sort of watched something and gone, that's elite. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, whether that's partly due to COVID or not, I don't know. But, um, yeah. All right, cool. Well, uh, I think we still need to talk about Red Notice, but we should wait for OB to do that. Um, Bye as well. Then he wants us to watch King Richard, so I'll try and do that. And then... Uh, is that a what? cinema or is that... It is, yeah, currently. Okay, I'll give it my best shot. Yeah, I mean, I guess the next big one is probably Spider-Man. Um, but I'm sure we'll podcast before then. Um, otherwise, thank you for listening. And you can uh, check us out on social media. We're on Twitter at YCPodcast17 and Instagram as Your Average Critics. Peace and peace.